Thanks so much, Irene. Thank you so much, Thomas. <clears throat> Good morning, church. As Irene uh, read, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses uh, 1 to 11. And our title for this uh, message today is called uh, Given to Give. Given to Give. So up on the screen for you are three uh, of photos. I have my knife set at home that I really enjoy and like. Um, I ha- there's a ter- the current Toronto Raptors and my uh, wireless uh, Bluetooth uh, keyboard. Uh, each of these three um, contexts, each of these three photos all have something in common. Maybe as you, as you were hearing Irene, uh, sorry, Irene Reed, uh, you were able to kind of put those things uh, together. But each individual uh, component to each context has a specialized um, gifting and distinct ability. Uh, with my knife set, um, <laughs> I literally have knives that are hollowed and engraved to say cheese and pizza, and they only touch and cut those two things. <laughs> with the Raptors, uh, these guys are a little weird <laughs> in terms of their, their, their team. I was talking with Daniel Bailey about this for some help. I don't know if you've seen them play, but they play basketball almost like football players. They, they all run to the three-point line, and then as if, you know, uh, Van Vliet says hut, and then everyone just runs towards the basket. They keep passing interchangeably to each other until one of them is open for them to go and take the shot, but a basketball team is supposed to have five key distinct players, a small forward, a power forward, point guard, center, and shooting guard. But these guys, like now in basketball, we generalize a lot of terms, we just say guards and forwards, and they literally have like seven guys who are all around the same height, interchangeably playing the same position to cover for their uh, lack of their other positions. Like a team of Swiss army knives, but there should at least be five players, big, and small, specialized, creating a dynamic team. My favorite team uh, back in the day was uh, the 2006 Denver Nuggets with AI and Anthony uh, with, with the roles. But then lastly, my keyboard. Uh, it's proportion, there's, there's different sizes, there's specialties with them, and every single one of those keys is important. And you realize how important they are until one of them gets damaged, uh, a button pops off, and you're like, man, I really missed the letter P. Um, or you spill coffee or, or water on it, and it stops working. Each one of them is important. What do all these three contexts have in common? That at the end of the day, it's in the completion and wholeness of the set, that, of my knife set, that simply grants me the ability to cut anything, any food in my kitchen. It grants me and my family, well, I kind of hide this in, in, in my room so that it stays uh, sharp, uh, but it just grants us the ability um, uh, to cut any food in my kitchen. Simple goal to just cut. Uh, with the basketball team, as generic or, or special as it is, their, their common goal is to simply score on the other team. And then with the keyboard set, as complex as the keys are, its simple goal is to type and to communicate where I want to or who I want to communicate to. Paul, in, in, in continuing his uh, a section on corporate worship, is now addressing what specifically makes us different from the world and yet unique within the body of Christ and why it's a benefit that the church be this way. That, that, that we as, as believers, we understand who we are and why we do what we do in light of the gifts that God has given 
us and then therefore strive towards that common goal that God gives us and, and the church as well. So the main thing that I want you to understand, which is our big idea for this message, is to accomplish the common good, God has given you a unique gift. So to accomplish the common good, God has given you and, and I a, a, a unique gift. Diversity is God's design for the church and it accomplishes his desired good through the uniqueness and diversity of that church. Let's pray for God's help uh, for this passage as we get into it. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you speak and still speak through your word. And I just ask God for uh, your grace to communicate uh, your word with clarity and accuracy. May you uh, veto what needs to be veto, add what needs to be add uh, for the sanctification and growth and salvation of, of your people. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so our, our first point for today is that God desires that we know our teammates. In light of the fact that we've been uh, given a unique gift to accomplish a common good, God wants us to know our teammates, know who's in the knife set or basketball team or on that keyboard. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So if, if you guys have been picking up on, on, on the way Paul has been switching subjects throughout the book of, of Corinthians, he'll say something like, um, you, you know, now concerning or, or, or concerning the matters that you have wrote or I have heard something. He's both heard what's going on in Corinth and is also responding to, to, to the questions as, as well. And, and his tone in this chapter and throughout this, this book uh, um, Paul knows that there's been an issue with knowledge within the church. You had both ignorant people and prideful people. And when Paul seeks to encourage um, uh, his church, he'll say, like, to those who are spiritual or impart in truth to those who are spiritual, as, as Pastor Ted spoke on in chapter 2. And when he's rebuking, he'll, he'll say to those who think they are spiritual, but this is more of a rebuke tone that he has here, especially as we get into the later chapters of this section. Paul doesn't want his family, he says brothers, he doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be ignorant or, or prideful about spiritual gifts. And that word there, spiritual gifts, also can mean spiritual persons or, or people. You see, right thinking leads to right living, right theology leads, leads to a, a right practice and, and lifestyle. The issue that the Corinthians had wasn't just about gifts. We, we often think that, like if we just want to know what our gift is, how to use it, and when to use it, but they also had a people issue, a, a, a spiritual person's issue, like who was of the church and who wasn't based on if they had or did not have a certain spiritual Gift. And so Paul assures us here in verses 2 to 3. So let's read that together. He says, you know, that, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's, a, there's a big, big knowledge issue here. And, and if you notice, Paul is saying a lot about knowledge. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, you know, and I want you to understand. Paul is A, B, and the, the believer and the unbeliever. You see, the pagan or the unbeliever 
is someone who worships a false or foreign God. They, they did and said things that made them, that identified them as an unbeliever. As we, we looked earlier in, this, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there was sexual immorality. There, there, there was food that they ate and their idol worship. Paul says they were led to mute idols. What does that mean? So Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 to 17 says this, for you. I highlighted uh, uh, the, the words he so you can kind of get where they're getting at. Isaiah says, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks and with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts it down. He cuts down cedars or he, or he chooses a cypress or cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for the man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the other half, he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. That's, that's crazy. But what Isaiah and what Paul is getting at in this, in this passage here is that idols are man-made. It's, it's, it's devil worship. It's a means to an end. You did all the work in an effort to pursue your own selfish desires and ascribe credit and glory to something else other than God. There's no divine inspiration here. There's, there, there's no guidance or words instructed to save from that idol that you yourself had made. This is the pagan. This is the reality of the unbeliever. So why does Paul say this? I thought this was about spiritual gifts. But again, this is about spiritual persons or people as well. You see, Satan is the father of lies, and he would rather disguise himself to cause chaos and, and, and bring destruction within the church from the inside. Paul speaks to this in 2 Corinthians, which is on the screen for you, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 13 to 15. Paul says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So what's going on in, in the churches at Corinthians, they both had this elite group like of, of spiritual and mature and esteemed people, prideful, similar as, as Pastor Ted uh, spoke last week of the people that came to communion early and were able to eat and drink and get drunk. These are people who viewed themselves more privileged and esteemed and loved by God based on their gifting. They even abused their gifts in corporate worship. And then you had private people and then you had ignorant people. They also couldn't discern who was Christian and who wasn't based on what appeared to be spiritual gifting, especially when it came to things like teaching and prophecy. Isn't that the same in our time 
as well. This could have led to welcoming and, and, and encouraging unbelievers as Christians and leaders within uh, um, uh, the church because of what appeared to be spiritual gifting, as well as then demeaning and discouraging actual believers who profess Jesus as Lord, thinking that they're not saved because they do not appear to have a more favorable or extraordinary spiritual gift. As we see in verse 3, it is not a set of gifts that make you more spiritual or mature than others, and, or having a specific gift does not determine if you are saved or not, but a true profession and submission to Jesus being Lord. Let's look at verse three again. Paul says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Where, where Paul says, says here, he's speaking to a lifestyle and practice. When he says say here, he refers to profession and submission and conviction. Paul's actually helping us as a church. Paul says Jesus is Lord. We're probably more familiar of the passages that say Christ is Lord. That word Lord there is the Greek word kyrios, which means a sovereign or master or, or ruler. It's the same word that gets capitalized in the Old Testament for the Hebrew word Yahweh. Why is this important? Well, you see, the unbeliever or the pagan, they, they hate God. They make their own God for their own selfish pursuits and do what pagans do, I, I, I guess. And the believer, he, he loves God. He is selfless and lives a life submitted to Jesus' rule and reign. And the Spirit actually gets believers, you and I, to say something about Jesus. In John chapter, five, verse, verse tw- John chapter 15, verse 26, uh, Jesus says, The advocate which comes will testify about me and idol doesn't lead you to, 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 to say things. It doesn't inspire you, but the Spirit does. Paul helps the church by teaching us that a true and correct profession of Jesus is both a requirement and the fruit that one is being used by God and is of God. Not what appears to be a specific spiritual gift. Uh, and these are the true spiritual persons in the church, and, and these people are also those who have gifts. That's a litmus test. That's how you know who, we're, who are your teammates. I did some uh, research uh, 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 this week. So up on the screen for you is a, a couple of photos. So word on the street is if you, you, know, you wore tube socks and you thought they were cool, you use an 8-track, uh, you, 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 you watch the show Happy Days, and I hear they worship that, that guy Fonzie. That, that, that was a sign and proof that you were born in the 70s. Then next slide. So if you love Saved by the Bell, love disposable cameras, listen to Prince and Madonna, and that was your, your thing. That was proof that you were born in the 80s. And then next slide. This is, this is my jam right here. Dial-up internet, Pokemon, Walkmans and MP3s, and thank God for Destiny's Child and TLC. That was proof that you were born in the 90s, 92 being the best year. And, <laughs> and a true and honest profession and life revolving around the, the deity and lordship of Jesus was proof that you were born again and in the household of God. Romans 10, 9 and Matthew 7 uh, speak to this. Uh, um, Romans 10 uh, says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is 
Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We don't just profess that Jesus is Lord. We don't just say the words. Evangelism would just be hypnotism. It's both a belief and a true profession that leads to a life that is reflecting that our lives are under the rule and reign of God. And so we got to ask ourselves, we got to be careful of who we are listening to, whether you're on TikTok or Insta or, or, or YouTube or church online or at, or at home on your, on your TV. The way to identify a false teacher is found first in their belief in, in the person of Jesus. Right thinking also leads to right preaching as well. Right theology also leads to right preaching as well. Is Jesus front and center and proclaimed as Lord? Or is he just an example? Is he mentioned at all? Someone could be a great speaker or communicator, but if they aren't communicating that Jesus is Lord, that's not the spiritual gift of teaching. You need to plug out from that. Influencers aren't the best influence? Are they leading you to an idol, helping you get what you selfishly want? That's not your teammate. That's not in God's knife set, not on the keyboard. We can protect the church from false teachers and leaders by knowing their acceptance or denial of the person of Jesus as Lord and their submission to him. You can actually just flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, that Pastor Ted preached last week. Paul says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It's good that we have divisions in the church so long as they are salvific matters. Things that relate to to the deity and humanity of Jesus, the Trinity, the the historical implications and applications of, of, of the gospel, of his death, burial, and resurrection. The Corinthians thought that Spiritual gifts meant salvation and godliness. Having a specific gift meant salvation and godliness. Have you elevated uh, a co- convictions to requirements or opinions to convictions to determine someone's salvation, godliness, or spiritual maturity? It's, it's what we believe in, in the, and profess about Jesus that, that you know who is your teammate in the household of God. So God desires that we know our teammates. And for our second and last point of of this morning is that uh, God desires that we know the assignment. God desires that we know the assignment. On youth nights, uh, after I think everything is good to go, I'm able to kind of sneak down and head to the gym and play some uh, games with the kids, whether it's basketball or, or volleyball. And uh, I guess as it stands right now, I'm still athletically competent to contribute to the winning of one of the teams. And as soon as I walk in, the kids are like, oh, Phil's here. You know, we, we, we get Phil. He's on our team. And I had to ask two questions. If I'm prideful, I'm like, whatever, just give me the ball. I'll just shoot wherever I want to shoot and I can do my thing. But I had to ask first, who's on my team? And then which way am I shooting or scoring on, on, on the net? Because if we know who our teammates are, then we'll, we'll need to know what the, we'll then know what the goal is and then strive towards it. And, and we have the abilities by the Spirit to contribute to that thing. Again, to accomplish that common good, God has given you a unique gift. 
Let's look at verses uh, four to six now. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them, it, empowers them all in everyone. The word gift here actually means uh, a grace gift. That the gift you and I have or gifts that you and I have at the end of the day is something that you and I do not deserve. So we should never boast or brag about something that we do not deserve. That, that doesn't make any sense. And notice the repeated phrase here. In the first section, Paul saying no, understand, uh, uninformed. And, and here he is saying the same, the same, the same, variety, variety, variety. God is both equalizing us in our worth and that it's okay in his intention that we be different within the body of Christ. And so first Paul says there are varieties of gifts. That speaks to more so diversity and allotment. Um, the, uh, the spiritual gifts are not exhaustive to this list that is here. And every single spiritual gift that, that is in the Bible is both supernatural and spiritual. Only a Christian from the bottom of their heart will, will do administration, acts of mercy, given from a, from a heart that, that truly wants to, to glorify God, serve the church, and not serve themselves but others. I hope that after uh, the service, when we are in the lobby, we can all play human bingo with each other, not to create like a hierarchy within the church or a sinful hierarchy, but to simply encourage and foster and cultivate our gifts uh, to accomplish the common good. It is God himself who customizes you and me with at least one gift. Paul then says there's a variety uh, verse uh, four again, there's varieties of service, but the same Lord, which that speaks to both ministry and placement. Though different people can have the same gift, they can be serving in different capacities that, that does not negatively a, a, affect the quality or outpouring of that same gift. They serve the same Lord, which means each person who professes Jesus as Lord, serves faithfully to him regardless of the, concept, of the context. You can be teaching one-on-one -on -one with someone or 10 kids and hope kids who, you know, they do what kids do or 400 people in an auditorium all using the same gift of teaching. But just as faithful and obedient, even if others don't see or notice us, whether you're praying over a friend's or family's uh, a common flu or cold or cancer, we encourage and not look down on the ministry and callings of each, each other that, that God has given us based on scale or what we think should be significant or not. Paul then says there, there are varieties of activities that speaks to uh, working out, or the word there means energize, that we should never take credit or for the exercise of our gifts. The only reason why we're able to use our gifts in the first place is because God has given and is constantly affecting within us to use our gifts. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29 uh, sums it up perfectly. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Like flowing energy in a cord or rushing water in a faucet, God is sovereignly working in us and through us for the usage of our gifts. 
But I wonder if you notice uh, something here in these uh, two verses, uh, three verses. Uh, let's read verses four to six again. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. This is a a reference to to the Trinity here. Paul's helping us think holistically about God when it comes to our gifting, the purpose, and then the results of that. God himself, the Godhead, does not make mistakes. You've been customized, you've been placed, and you've been empowered all according to God's good plan. And his plan is, is, is right there for us in verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, that word common good also means the bringing together. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, says this. Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may, all, may, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has given you and I a unique gift to accomplish this common good, that we know and, and recognize who our teammates are and, care, and out of a care for one another, build and encourage one another up to make them more mature in Christ, to make them more like Jesus. It's going to take a village to raise a village. And because each believer has a manifestation of the Spirit, each believer is to contribute to this effort. That word manifestation simply means distribution. Having a spiritual gift means that you have the Holy Spirit and are given a gift to build up the church. Now, before we get into verses 8 to 10, uh, let's look at verse 11. Paul says, uh, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we're actually supposed to see the common good as well as in connection with God's will as well. God doesn't gift us or give us spiritual gifts that we never go sick or never lack wisdom or knowledge or never make wrong decisions. Paul himself, he had the gift of healing and he healed and was healed at times, but he couldn't and always do so. It is still a grace in which, in which God is constantly and effectively working in us, within us, to draw from him independence, but yet be submitted to his will as well. With some of our gifts, we are on our knees begging for God to work through us and in us. And then with some other gifts like tongues, we have the ability to not use it for the sake of, of care for one another and for God's will of order within the church as we'll look to in the next couple of 
chapters. The, the, the Corinthians themselves, they, they abuse this with, with tongues, which is why in the next couple of chapters, even if someone does have the, um, a, a spiritual gift of healing, and, and if we're really sick, we can go to the elders uh, uh, for, for, for healing and instructed to, to do so, as it says in James chapter 5. So, so there's both enable to, to, to be uh, restricted with our gifts, with certain gifts, and then there's also submission to God's will as well and order. So now let's look at verses 8 to 10. So Paul says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Paul here gives a limited list. Uh, up on the screen for you is, is uh, the other passages as well that contain uh, spiritual gifts. Um, and, and here's a little chart uh, that, that I have in, in one of my, my books. It may be hard to, to see, but you can see in, in some cases, uh, the, some gifts are mentioned in all of these lists, and sometimes they're, they're, they're not, and, 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 and that's just the way that God would, would have it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28, uh, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. That list will then, this list here also includes uh, apostles and, and teachers and pastors, evangelists, helping, administration, ministry, encouraging, giving, leadership, and showing mercy. But why does Paul have a limited list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Most likely because the, the church and even us today would not consider some of those other gifts as spiritual or supernatural. Again, only a Christian from, from, from their heart will do something like administration or acts of mercy or, or given solely for the benefit of the church and its people and not themselves. The gifts that, that Paul mentions here were somehow along the lines to believe to be on another level or echelon than others. The Corinthians did this with tongues and prophecy, but how often in our, in our culture that we do this with teaching now, that if you can teach, you're somehow put on a pedestal, and if, and if you can't, then you're somehow not as important. Paul sets the record straight that none of these gifts here should create a sinful hierarchy within the church. Again, we are gifted this way to care for one another. And so even as, as I was looking at this passage, uh, I had four questions that came to mind as, as spiritual gifts um, were, were here. And as I was thinking about that, and, you know, we, 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 we all want to have these gifts defined and, and illustrated to know what the gifts mean. We, we, we want to know how do I find my gift? How do I know what my gifts are? Um, uh, what gifts are here and gone and, and why? And how, does, and how should this affect corporate worship, and even our individual obedience as well. The challenge with uh, question one is that uh, there are so many different views on all these things, not just question one, but all, but all of them, that we try to deduce from Scripture. Paul says uh, first here, the utterance of wisdom. It's believed to be spiritual revelations, spiritual revealed applications to God's word to specific situations needed for the church and its members. 
And the grace gift of the utterance of, of knowledge is believed to be spirit-revealed understanding and meaning of God's word that is often a mystery to most, knowing the text's first main meanings and, and then the things that flow from that. The grace gift of faith, some believe that it's having an unwavering confidence in the promises of God. God said it, so it will happen. But some also believe that it's, it's some unwavering confidence that God will do things that he hasn't promised. Yeah, I know he hasn't said it, but I know God and he will do it. The grace gifts of healing. It's, it's believed that uh, God bestows the, the, the gift in the moment. And it could be given to the person who needs the healing. But it can also be given to the person who is praying for the person who receives the gift of healing. Even when you look at James 5, we're instructed to go to the elders when we are really sick to receive healing. But it doesn't tell us that the elders are the ones who heal us, but that healing does happen. The grace gift of miracles or workings of power are are believed to be acts against uh, the consistent flow of nature. God just does something different. It's believed to be consistent with uh, confirming and rescuing believers and then condemning and punishing unbelievers. Great gift of prophecy. Some believe that, 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 that is proclaiming the word of God with, with boldness, zeal, and conviction. And then others believe that it is actually a foretelling, a specific future events necessary for the building and growing and encouragement of the church that doesn't contradict scripture. And then he says, uh, uh, distinguishing between spirit or judging between spirit, that we would call the gift of discernment. It's, it's viewed to be judging uh, uh, within the body of Christ who is of the spirit and who is not in specific and crucial cases, knowing what is right from almost rights. The grace gift of tongues is it's, it's believed to be a language unknown by the user that results in praise and prayer to God. And interpretation is therefore the interpretation, translation of that own unknown language so that it be an encouragement and blessing to the church as well. Regardless of your view on the gifts, I pray that you have human bingo in the foyer, not human uh, debate in, in the foyer. Uh, we, uh, what can't be debated is that every single believer has at least one of these not limited to this list, and that all of these gifts contribute to the common good of the church. How do I find my gift? How do I know what my gift is? I believe it's a, it's a two-way street of both desire, uh, opportunity, and an affirmation for uh, uh, the church. And, you know, when I think about my own life and my own story to, to, to illustrate, who would have thought that I would, you know, <laughs> be, be here <laughs> teaching God's word? Like, I got saved when I was 16, and I was a silly kid, and I feel like I still am. And, you know, I was brought into a, a fellowship of brothers and sisters who, who, who loved the Lord, and I met with some guys. We called ourselves CLS. These were like my, my mentors, and we would go out for uh, McDonald's and Denny's at 10, 8, 10 p.m. on a Friday, and I'd come home at 2 a.m. My parents were like, what are you doing on a Friday night? And I'm like, it's, it's Bible study. And, and I'm just learning uh, from, these, from these guys that, you know, to love the word and understand it and be able to share it with others to have clarity and, and understanding of it. And, you know, that led to me being plugged into this church and, um, you know, serving in, in youth and just trying to share the gospel with uh, those kids. And uh, Steve was like, hey, you know, maybe you should teach. An opportunity came. And because I had a desire, I was like, sure, like, I'll, I'll try. 
And um, I, I still remember my first passage. Uh, it was First John chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. And uh, I preached a 30-minute sermon in 15 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I still remember that one of my youth, who I will not name her name, told me the next week that it was a train wreck. <laughs> So there was an affirmation there, but then Steve gave me another shot, and uh, that continued, and um, yeah, and then God sharpening the gift and using the gift, and affirmation grows and continues. I hope this is not a train wreck to you guys um, right now as well, <laughs> but I, I think that's just a simple way to kind of to figure out what our gifts is and how we can use them within the church. We can discern them through desire, our, our opportunities, whether it's presented in the church or outside of the church an affirmation from the church and its people as well. Individuals like you guys can communicate with, with leadership uh, the gifting that you have by God's grace that you'd like to explore and, and, and try. And then the church as well should be proactive in creating opportunities to foster and cultivate the church's gifts. And I believe our, our church is doing that. I believe we're doing that with youth and with kids and with all our other ministries as well. It's a two-way street at the end of the day. And if we're on the same team and desire for the common good to be attained, then we will approach discovering and developing the gifts with eagerness and, and humility and openness so that the common good, the bringing together, making us more like Christ is attained. And then with the last two questions, <clears throat> or even before that, so when we think about uh, spiritual gifts and the grace gifts that we've been given, we want to be even asking ourselves as a church, like, does something need to be added or controlled or taken away or controlled in order to accomplish this common good? And then with the last two, two questions, um, are these gifts uh, here or gone and, and how does this affect our corporate worship? And uh, I have the privilege uh, to say from Pastor Ted that you had to just tune in in the, the weeks to come and he will be tackling uh, these, these more challenging questions. However, outside of corporate worship, we are simply to serve. Again, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Look at, let's look at verse 11 one more time. Paul says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So when we think about grace gifts as a whole that we've been given to give, we can think about uh, something like this. So here's a little diagram for, for you on the screen. So there's one source, as Paul says in, in verse 11, that it's the Holy Spirit appropriated to, to be doing this for us. There's variety, service, activities, gifting, and then there's both salvation and gifting that comes from God himself in, in, in his grace that manifests and express as, as the different varieties, all for the purpose of the common good, for the building up the church as God himself wills it. If, if we mess up any of these intentions, then we'll get into trouble. If we don't thank the source, are partial with the, with the varieties, or, or have a different goal than what God has given us in Scripture, we as a church would get into trouble. We'd be off the mark. We'd be shooting on the wrong nets, cutting, you know, apples with my pizza knife. Again, to accomplish the common good, uh, God has given you a unique gift. 
And if you and I truly understand ourselves as spiritual people who before coming to Christ were, were, were pagans, lost, you know, lovers of, of self, worthy of eternal punishment and sin towards God. And in our, in our repentance, when we, when we agree with God and turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we are then forgiven. And then not just forgiven, but we are then sealed. And not just sealed with the Spirit, but then, but then grace and distributed a gift from the Holy Spirit in service to our Lord who has saved us. And we will then, we will work out in the will and power of our Father. And then we will not view ourselves as greater or less than others based on our gifting. The person who is cleaning the floors or responding to emails is no less spiritual or important in the eyes of God than someone with the gift of, of teaching or, let's say, evangelism. We won't praise the gift, but we will praise the giver instead. We praise the source and be content and encouraged with the variety and the use of our grace gifts out of love and care for the body of whom Christ has died for. Why do Christians think and, and behave like this. And this is what Paul has been getting at. Uh, because if we are in the spirit, as he says in verse 3, we, as, as he says in Philippians 2, will have the same mind of Christ Jesus because we have his Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus himself, he set aside his privileges, uh, but he didn't set aside his power or his deity. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry, whether supernatural or natural, was for the purpose to do the Father's will in the empowerment and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't abuse his privileges during the temptation of Satan, and he also didn't hesitate working miracles out of compassion for others. He could have worked wonders on, on the cross and saved himself from, from, from what he was going through and called 12 legions of angels, but he chose not to, for the sake of the common good, for the bringing together, for the gospel. Jesus doesn't lay aside his privileges, but lays down his life for you and me for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is given a role and fulfills it to the T, literally, and then grants us by the, the Holy Spirit to use our gifts for, that, for a role that is given to us. And Ephesians chapter 4 uh, says this perfectly. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then later on in that uh, chapter, Paul says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of in Christ. We are, we are now to build the body, continue where Jesus and the apostles left off from their foundation. We've been given to give. And we're able to, we're able to and privileged to use our grace gifts because God has first given us grace. Salvation and even the means of sanctification are both gifts of grace. So I, I hope that we can be a people who, who thank the giver, serve the Lord, and have a common good for, uh, as our goals. Let's, let's pray together now. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much <clears throat> that you have not just given us salvation, but that you've also privileged us to, to partner alongside you and make disciples of all nations to, to build uh, the body of Christ. 
uh, your word says that you will build your church, and it's, it's through the use of our gifts that you have granted us that enables us to do that. And so, Father, I just pray for our, our church that we be a people who encourage and build up one another in light of the gifting that, that we have, that we not be partial with each other based on, on gifting, but that we seek to encourage one another. I pray, Lord, that we um, are in step with your will for us, that, that, we, uh, have, that we understand our differences for the sake of caring for one another, that if one suffers, we all do, and if one uh, rejoices, then we all rejoice. And so I just pray, God, that, um, that we in your spirit apply this to our hearts, apply this in our lives, and be a people known to uh, love one another and serve one another. I pray for those who are seeking to discover their gifts, who, who may feel like uh, they don't have any gift in. Lord, uh, that's not true. You have given all of us at least one gift. You've apportioned, you've distributed. So I pray, God, that um, you give us wisdom in discerning the gifts um, in, in our members and that you give courage and encouragement to those who um, are thinking about sharing their gifts with, with the church to be able to be uh, helpful to its body and its growth in you. So I pray this all in your name. Amen.